All right, guys, welcome back. This is Nick. This is Faye. And this is Kriyas over, over coffee. coffee. Today we're back with another wellness episode um, with Mike Foley once again to talk today about budgeting. So thanks for coming back and talking with us, Mike. Yeah, thanks for having me again. Just kind of to do as we have talked about in our previous episodes with Mike, um, he's a comprehensive financial advisor running his practice out of Scottsdale, Arizona under North Star Resource Group, trained at Duke University. He holds his certified financial planner designation as well as a certified student loan professional designation. And Michael serves a diverse group of clients with financial and student loan needs. He has two physician parents, and he's found a specialty in working with us in the healthcare space. He's a registered representative and investment advisor, representative of Securian Financial Services. Securities and investment advisory services are offered through Securian Financial Services, Inc., member of FINRA and SIPC. North Star Resource Group is independently owned and operated at 6720 North Scottsdale Road, Suite 290 in Scottsdale, Arizona, 85253. Separate from the financial plan and his role as financial planner, Michael may recommend the purchase of specific investment or insurance products or accounts. These product recommendations are not part of the financial plan and you are under no obligation to follow them. Financial professionals do not provide specific tax or legal advice and this information should not be considered as such. You should always consult your tax or legal advisor regarding your own specific tax or legal situation. All right, Faye, what are our learning objectives for this episode with Mike? Yeah, so since we're talking about budgeting today, we are first going to learn how to build a budget. Um, we're going to learn how to triage our surplus income in residency versus when we're in practice. Um, we're going to uh, learn how research to help us with some budgeting hack. Um, and we're also going to talk about some common mistakes that we see um, with new attendings. So start us off um, with the first question here, Mike. Um, how do we build a budget? Sure. Yeah. So when it comes to budgeting, it's uh, usually people go white in the face when uh, when you say say the B word budget, and uh, people are typically really you know uh, put off by wanting to track every single penny. You know, especially when you guys are in this de delayed gratification world of uh, of, of of living in the in, in this space of medical education that takes a long time to to get to earning the earning potentials that you're going to have. And so. Um, really, when we look at budgeting, we got to take the emotion out of it. And we really got to break down of just looking at what comes in to your situation, what goes out of your situation, and what is left over. If we can use any sort of tool at our disposal, I am old school. I like to use Excel um, and just build, I have uh, kind of some pre-filled pre templates that, you know, we could send you guys if you need, um, just with some uh, mind joggers of things that people or a lot of our clients might be spending money on. Um, some people might be using some, there's a ton of apps out there that will help to log different, uh, different expenses. Um, but at bottom line, whatever you're using, you know, we really just need to know what are those regular expenses that are coming in uh, that are going out on a regular basis? What is your income that's coming in on a regular basis? And then, you know, what is that leftover amount? And, you know, really got to be honest with yourself though, because there's a lot of times, you know, people will build a budget and it's more aspirational than actually what is in practice, uh, what's actually happening. But, 
you know, I want to, I want my clients to get to a point where we can uh, do what's called lifestyle budgeting. And so the lifestyle budgeting is where we aren't tracking every penny in your situation, but really we're accustomed to a lifestyle. And if we, you know, we're all creatures of habit and we typically spend almost exactly the same thing on a monthly basis, whether you know it or not. Um, and then when you spend more than that, you feel uncomfortable, like you're spending more than your typical budget. And so if we can nail on paper, what is that normal for you? Then we can work off of that and we can have the, you know, emergency reserve or other slush funds to, you know, ebb and flow with those high months over the holidays or for other gifts. But um, I don't, you know, then we can really focus on what is that actual surplus on paper for you. So that's really, you know, in a nutshell, how, you know, I want my clients, you know, thinking about building a budget there. No, that's a great sort of basic framework, Mike. I think, though, you hit the nail on the head in terms of one of the hardest things, which is trying to think about you know, how to budget for, for lifestyle and how exactly you compartmentalize your spending. Though I think you're going to share with us today actually some budgeting hacks, if you will, that our listeners might benefit from. Yeah, sure. No, it's a uh, everybody's looking for the hack or some some sort of trick to help help them with the with this stuff, right? And so there, it's pretty cool. There's some there's some research out there that uh, that can help help uh, that I use in in my practice to help our clients, you know, with this. And uh, one of the biggest things that we really want to uh, learn from is one of these studies that uh, it's it was a study completed back in 2008, I think. So it's a little bit older study now. But um, what they did is they did actual brain scans of people. And they had them think about themselves in, uh, in, you know, in themselves currently. They saw where it lit up in their brain, and then they had them think about uh, someone else, so, so another friend or someone. And they saw where it lit up in their brain. It was a different place than where it lit up originally. And then they had them think about themselves in the future, and it lit up the same part of the brain as it did when they were thinking about some other person. And so it was an interesting study that, you know, it went into a whole, whole bunch of different things. But one of the things that we had extrapolated out of this is this is why, it, you know, it's, it can be so, so a lot harder for people to save for retirement or for other long-term, you know, saving for their future selves in this. And so what we want to really focus on when we're coming to our budget is we want to make that decision once. We don't want to keep making that decision over and over again because it takes, you know, almost the same cognitive energy to save for yourself in the future as it does to give money to someone else. So we don't want to have that mentally draining activity happening on a monthly basis. And so if we have a good baseline of our budget and we know how much is left over, then we can automate things. And we have a lot of tools now at our disposal where we can have set up automatic payments, automatic transfers. So if we can automate everything in our situation, then you're sitting down once to make that decision of how you're going to do that. And then the rest of it is just you know, it's just rolling out for you after that. And then we make revisions as your life changes or as different, you know, expenses or lifestyle expenses come up, but it's mindless because you guys are busy in what you're doing. And so we try to do our best to take you out of the picture and take a lot of the emotion out of that. And that's when these things really start to build up and happen for you. So, so that's one of the biggest uh, budgeting hacks that, that we've seen, uh, help help a lot of our clients and then we touch base with it on every six months or so and see see how it's going and we kind of re reassess from there but uh, one of the other cool things that we've we've identified is that is just setting up some mental hurdles for you to either get access to some of your funds or having them in different compartments essentially so 
One of the specific things that we've had is, you know, one of the big things we want to focus on as we'll talk about is having a solid emergency reserve. And so a lot of people will keep that same emergency reserve in their everyday checking account or even their savings account with their same bank. But the problem with that is that it is instantaneously back into your checking account if you want it. And so there's no hurdle there. If you need to access some of those funds, you can you know, instantaneously have that back in your checking account to spend it. We typically see more success with our clients that have a separation in actually a, a physically a different bank. So there's a lot of online banks that have some high yield, you know, savings accounts. But if that bank is separate from your, you know, everyday bank that you're using, uh, it'll take, you can link them so you can transfer funds back and forth. But it's enough of a hurdle because it takes about a day or two to get access to those funds back into your checking account. So it's just enough. So, I mean, this is what I do in my own personal situation. And whenever I need to take funds out of that emergency reserve or that saving, I feel a little guilty (laughs) when when I get access to that, right? And it's just enough to let that money stay there. And so typically, you know, my clients that keep their their emergency reserve in their checking account, we see much more fluctuations in that emergency reserve as opposed to the people that actually have it separated with a separate bank that it's kind of out of sight, out of mind. So that's definitely one of the the big, you know, um, kind of other hats that that we like to encourage our clients to utilize. And um, one of the the last ones is, uh, you know, really talking more about, you know, what are really those things that are bringing you the most happiness and fulfillment in in your spending. Um, You know, a lot of people have trouble identifying what those things that actually give them the most bang for their buck from a fulfillment standpoint, because, you know, especially when you're in residency, you have limited, limited funds available. And so, you know, that might be spent on vacations that might be spent on you know, if any, any, any week that you have off trying to get out of town or something, you're right. Going to a concert, doing those different things, but, you know, identify what those things are for you. Cause sometimes you might be doing things that aren't that fulfilling for you and might actually be more draining and you're spending money on it that isn't helpful. Or there might be things that you need to spend more money on that will actually give you more fulfillment. And so one of the things that we uh, learned from the positive psychology world, um, this guy named uh, Martin Seligman, he's kind of the, the, the founder of the positive psychology movement and the world of psychology. And uh, what he developed is this PERMA method. And so this is something that we take our clients through oftentimes if they're struggling to kind of figure out what those things are. And uh, PERMA is an acronym for uh, positive emotion emotions, engagement, relationships, meaning, and accomplishment. So what they found is that essentially if we can be more well diversified in those different areas, there's a there's a correlation to how much how our overall well-being as a person. So sometimes if we actually run through this exercise and we have our clients identify what are those things that would you know derive the most positive emotion or the most engagement that encourage relationships, find more meaning, they actually uh, th- those are actually our financial goals <laughs> if you think about it because you know the the end goal in our financial plan is not to have the most money in in the in the bank account it's to have the most fulfillment to extract the most life out of the money that we do have and so sometimes this exercise will help you uncover what those things are so you're not wasting money on things that are uh, are superficial or not necessarily actually driving that true uh, fulfillment and happiness for you as well yeah, thank you for that, Mike. I think that's really helpful to kind of put this into perspective because I think a lot of times, a lot of people, when they hear the word budgeting, they just feel like they need to save as much money as possible. Exactly. 
let's kind of talk a little bit then about, you know, what do we do with our surplus income in residency? You know, there's not very much of it <laughs> um, versus when you're in practice. What do you do with that? Yeah. So I, I call it, we got to triage that surplus income that you have, right? We got to break it down and identify what are, what are the, the kind of the priorities that we have to focus on initially. And so, but really what we have to look at first is we kind of got to take the basic vitals for you in, in your situation, right? So if you, if you think about it in kind of the medical space, right? If a patient comes in and tells you that, you know, they want to start training for a marathon, but they have high blood pressure, they have knee issues and and they have no training plan, you know, uh, can they just go out there and start running? Like for sure. But, you know, they're probably going to run into some issues uh, along the way, unless they address some of the, uh, the more, most pressing things first. Right. So it's kind of the same thing in your financial plan. So we got to look at what are these things initially that we need to be taken care of. And so those, those things that consist of your emergency reserve, we got to have a solid emergency reserve. We got to have cash ready for any short-term goals that are coming out, kind of those things in the front site that we know are going to happen. So like for you guys in residency or fellowship, board costs, you know, moving costs, you know, licensing costs. Like we know there's going to be like a two to $5,000 expense for like all of our residents that are, that are graduating, you know, and then if you're moving, that would be substantial. But what else is there? Is there a big trip that's on the, on the horizon? What are those goals that we have to address in, in our cash? And then we got to make sure we have the right insurances. Uh, do we have our disability insurance? Do we have our life insurance? Even if we don't have young ones or a family yet, if that's something that we're looking towards, we got to make sure we're, we're planning ahead for that so that if something comes up in your health, you're not precluded from being able to get that coverage in the future too. Um, do we have our umbrella policy? Those sorts of things. So um, most of our clients are going to have some form, some form of debt, whether that be through student loans or through credit card debt. But do we have a plan in place for that? Does not mean that we have to have a plan to pay it off before we can move on, but we need to have a set set you know timeline or a set plan for that. So if you know maybe we've accrued some credit card debt throughout residency, you know maybe you know that plan could be you know to do balance transfers until we get out of practice, uh, you know get into practice and we can knock that out, right? But you know we got to also look at sometimes with the you know the credit card debt situation, you know we we typically see when somebody has credit card debt more times than not, they don't have an emergency reserve. And so we have to look to make sure that we have both of those things. And sometimes a lot of people, when you have credit card debt, want to just put all of their extra money towards their credit card debt, and they still don't have an emergency reserve. And so it's kind of like in, in the medical world, it's like treating the symptom and not the disease. The disease is not having an emergency reserve. The symptom is having the credit card debt. So let's, you know, even if we need to take a little bit longer to pay off that credit card debt, Let's do that so that we can, you know, pay, build up our emergency reserve so that doesn't happen again, you know, and we go into further credit card debt, right? So once we have kind of those basics taken care of, now we can go on offense. Now we can start really building into some investments to start growing our net wealth. And so you kind of think of it as a, as a waterfall here. So really, we, got, we want to make sure that we have the emergency reserve filled up. So we kind of fill up that pool. Then it flows over into our short-term goals. So whatever short-term goals we might have on the horizon. Then we want to flow that over into our retirement. So whatever we have from a, uh, you know, from a, an employer plan that might be maxing out 401ks, um, you know, Roth IRAs if you're in residency, um, or at least you know while you're in residency, it's probably not maxing out your retirement, but maybe getting up to whatever your employer is matching you. Um, that's typically what what we're looking at. And then after that, then we flow over into what we call. Uh, 
medium-term savings accounts or non-qualified investment accounts that are just taxable. You're not getting you know tax advantages you know today or tomorrow on that on those types of accounts. But you know it's it's something that we want to get our money growing for us and not just keep piling more money in cash, right? So and then once we start putting money into there, and then we still have extra money that we need you know to be putting at uh, to other places. Then we can look at some, you know, other strategies for other tax advantage places to put money. But we got to we got to take care of everything else first before we start looking at other things like that. So so think of it as kind of a waterfall approach. So you know, and wherever you're at, that waterfall is kind of the the same whether you're in residency or you're in practice. Uh, the numbers are just get bigger when you're in practice. So those are kind of the the, the places that we're putting that. But um, so hopefully that you know kind of helps you guys kind of think through how we how we're kind of triaging where we're putting our money there. Yeah, I think that was a really nice analogy um, and hopefully not a dig at myself in terms of marathon training there. <laughs> <laughs> no, not at all. Not at all. <laughs> uh, no, 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 just a joke. But let's kind of pivot a little bit, Mike. You're, you know, you're experienced in this area and you work with a lot of healthcare providers. Um, I'm sure that there are probably similar issues and mistakes that come up quite a bit as you kind of are helping to triage these budgets. Um, what are some of those common mistakes that you see and how can we avoid them? Yeah, so there's really two big common mistakes that we see with physicians. Um, so the first one is the uh, the people that will come to me, which is more, more, than, <laughs> more than you would think, they come to me and they say, I'm going to continue living like a resident and I'm just going to pay off all my student loans. That is probably the most common uh, thing that we hear and typically is not the best solution for you Um, because what we typically see with that is Yes, it would save money from you know from a, a potentially an interest rate standpoint. Definitely not if you're qualifying for forgiveness or things like that. But you know if you're just trying to pay that off, it might save you on interest. But you know you're paying you know maybe six thousand dollars a month to pay these things off at a very aggressive clip, and then from there it's usually a, a, a binge after that because now we've gotten the loans off and now we can raise our fixed expenses. And so that money never actually starts, you know, not full amount never starts actually getting invested. And so if we can get on a more sustainable path and maybe pay uh, our loans over a little bit longer period of time, but also start building into our investments and, and taking care of some of these other things along the way. Not only are we not, you know, kicking the rock down the road to start our investments and missing out on compound interest for maybe the next 10 years, but we're also getting in the habit of not just, you know, it's really easy to think that, hey, okay, I'm the 6,000 bucks. Okay, now we can afford that, you know, a million dollar house, you know, because I can just plug and play. I'm already used to making that payment, right? So those are that's it's more of the uh, the behavioral finance approach to that that we see is oftentimes leading people astray, and usually the people that um, go down that path oftentimes regret it. So um, that's something that we want to is one of the big mistakes that we see sometimes, you know, for for some people. And uh, I will say sometimes it does make sense for people, but it's 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 important to really think through, you know, what what other impacts we might be missing out on in the rest of your plan with that, and then. And, you know, kind of in that same vein, you know, one of the things that we typically see is again a lot of a lot of times during residency and fellowship, a lot of people are really you know delaying their gratification and they're just you know hunkering down until they can start making more money and they just put off, put off, put off, and then there's you know a, a binge where they typically want to start raising their fixed expenses uh, right out of practice, and so 
usually sometimes for those folks that we meet with, like right as they transition into practice, those folks that we can actually develop, what are those plans that we really want long-term and we can start building into and having more clarity on how we're building in our plan. Those clients typically do better long-term than those that we meet with maybe even three months after attaining the new income. And they've already raised their fixed expenses because, you know, it doesn't matter if you're making, you know, $200,000 or $800,000. If your fixed expenses are almost as much as you're earning, you know, it doesn't matter how much money you're making. If, you know, there are there's some clients that might be making $800,000 a year, bringing home, you know, maybe $60,000 a month, but have no more than $2,000 per month to save at that level too, because of other fixed expenses. And so being really cautious with how we're really being more, not cautious, but intentional with, with the, with the, the funds that we're actually raising in our lifestyle, because once we sit down, it's, you know, I'm never going to, you know, sit down with a client and really beat them up or say, Hey, you shouldn't go spend so much money on eating out or things like that. It's not my job. You know, my job is to identify how much surplus income do they have? And is that going to be enough to hit the goals that they are setting out to do? Um, if they are, great. They don't need to make any changes and they shouldn't feel guilty spending more money on things, right? But if they're not, then it's their personal decision to either go make more money so they can continue to do these things or they can you know, break down their budget and see how they can cut costs. But if they're in that latter uh, phase and they're having to cut costs after getting accustomed to a new lifestyle already, it hurts, really hurts. And so it's best to do have those conversations before we start adding it so we don't have to go backwards. Um, to really hit the goals that are actually meaningful for you. So there's some things to be thinking about there. Thank you again, um, Mike, for coming onto our podcast and talking to us about this really valuable information for uh, our listeners. How would our listeners get in touch with you if they have more questions, for example? Yeah, sure. So we'll uh, we'll put my contact information in the in the show notes. Um, but definitely feel free to you know just Google me on uh, uh, Michael Foley Northstar um, and uh, check out some of my uh, articles. We've uh, written, written some articles on these topics almost exactly uh, with medical economics um, to help further some of their young young physician growth uh, for their readership. So feel free to check out some of those articles. And then if anybody has uh, questions, we'll also put the uh, like there's just a scheduling link for me, and so you can just book a meeting on my calendar. And we do initial, you know, no obligation kind of uh, complimentary reviews just to see what's going on in your situation. Super. All right. I think that does it for today. So once again, this is Nick. This is Faye. And this has been Creogs Over Coffee. So guys, if you enjoyed this episode or any of our other episodes, go ahead and go into your favorite podcatcher, iTunes, Spotify, Google Podcasts, and give us a five-star rating and review. You can find us online on Twitter at CreogsOverCoff1, on Instagram and Facebook at CreogsOverCoffee, or if you love the show and want to support us, head over to patreon.com slash CreogsOverCoffee. If you send us some love, we'll send you some swag. We'll have show notes for this show and all of our other episodes on our website, as well as the Rosh Review Question of the Week. That's at www.CreogsOverCoffee.com. And finally, if you have a question for us, need some help getting in touch with Mike, um, or anything else, email us, CreogsOverCoffee at gmail.com.